So last week we were looking at the history, uh, the the history of the church and the church's understanding, particularly on uh, the doctrine of justification. Uh, We made it up to the uh, kind of the middle of the Middle Ages, and we started looking at Thomas Aquinas. Um, So, uh, kind of a, a, a recap. Um, what we what we have found from the beginning of the early church up into the Middle Ages is uh, in the early days um, there was a need by the church due to the culture around them to um, really emphasize the freedom of the will and due to this uh, there was a gradual sliding from Uh, justification by faith alone into a hybrid of this, a a justification that included some amount of merits or working of the will of man towards God. Um, And though at various times throughout that history, that that slow slide into that was kind of a paused or put on hold. Nevertheless, this tendency back towards that uh, lesser form of justification uh, continued on. Uh, and we found ourselves last time, uh, I think we uh, uh, we stopped at what I think is going to be kind of a, a pivotal point to pick back up on today, uh, which is a teacher, uh, this name, it should not be a name that's um, unknown to you. Um, I've, I've said the name in, uh, in prior classes that I've taught, uh, specifically classes that would have anything to do with apologetics. You would find Thomas Aquinas' name uh, coming up in those. Uh, he was... A powerhouse of the mind in regards to his ability to think rationally and take uh, thoughts and understandings and form them and shape them in a way uh, that could make clear many, many difficult um, thoughts, especially thoughts that might come in in regards to like attacking the Christian worldview, Uh, but. Um, and this is kind of part of the warning that I had for, um, or that I take away for myself, and that I think that we should take away, each and every one of us, um, is that though we may bring uh, many, many, many great things to the table, we are flawed. Even the greatest of minds, uh, there is a need for us to just fall on God's grace and God's wisdom and God's mercy and uh, plead with him to um, to keep us from straying far from his word um, because when when we do there is a great danger that things that we might say, well-meaning things that we might say or do um, or positions that we might hold could have effects that ripple on far beyond us. And that that should be for us something that uh, we should not be 
frozen in fear to say anything because of that reality, right? Uh, we should rest and trust that the God who uh, has brought this truth, the truth of his word to us, will continue that work throughout the generations. But it is a, it is a uh, heavy reality to consider that um, things that you might say today that are not true from God's word could be things that have um, lasting effects beyond you. So with that, what should we do then? Um, I would say stay close to God's word, especially when you are saying anything in regards to truth, right? Um, So what we're going to find kind of Though there are many things that could be said positive about Aquinas and Aquinas' views, um, we're going to particularly be focusing on a view that he kind of shored up in some regards that ultimately led to the uh, ground being laid for the need for the Reformation. All right? Uh, So um, as we consider justification and how justification has been viewed from the early the early church from the apostles all the way down through history to us today why is it that we find ourselves in a protestant church not a catholic church Um, what are those primary differences that we have between them do we understand them or are we just coming here because our parents brought us when we were younger and and we've not shaken off those chains yet Um, Why is it that we believe that this is the path that's the correct one uh, versus the one that uh, by the numbers would be the majority when you look at the Catholic view? Now, we're going to find some things today as we kind of dig into this that are going to be encouraging in that regard too as well as like God working to unify um, this division that was brought about by these ideas. So, um, we're going to look at Thomas Aquinas now. So for Aquinas, the souls of people, this is upon death, are immediately conveyed into heaven where they receive their deserved reward, or into hell where they are eternally punished for not having merited life, but in keeping with the the church's doctrine. So this is one of those areas where uh, Aquinas, whenever he was working through thought, there were some um, groundwork laid in the beliefs that he grew up understanding and studying, that when faced with them um, and and lining them up with scriptures, uh, he came to an understanding that's different than us. And I think one of the most important things uh, here, and this is why when we started the systematic theology study many years ago, you may not remember it now, but go back and look in some of the foundational, fundamental, um, the, the, the framework by which we started this entire thing is the canon of Scripture. You may not remember that word. The canon of Scripture is essentially what we mean to say the books that we believe are God's Word. And how do we come to believe that? All right. So Aquinas, during his time, what we would consider to be the Apocrypha, or books that are maybe supplemental to understanding um, history, but are not 
um, authoritative over the way that we live our lives. This is what we would call the, the Apocrypha. One of those books is Second Maccabees. And in Second Maccabees, it, it has some, uh, some thoughts about praying for the dead. And this is where Aquinas and many uh, in his day uh, found their uh, basis for purgatory. All right, and from this basis of purgatory, uh, I think that we can um, come to the conclusion that it is from this this seed of an idea that we ultimately get to um, the buying of indulgences, the the the, the place where the church gets. Uh, to where it looks a whole lot like Jesus needs to come in with the whip and run all these uh, people out of the temple, uh, the church gets back into this state. Uh, ultimately, greed, power, money, um, and from there comes the Reformation. And we'll kind of dive into that today. So, um, so in keeping with the church's doctrine, Aquinas offered a third alternative. So he had one alternative, like you die, you either go to heaven or hell. And then because the church had the, been developing this doctrine of purgatory from its understanding of Second Maccabees, um, he continues this effort. So purgatory for those whose souls need further cleansing from forgivable sins purgatory is a place where and this is a this is a quote here there is only temporal punishment by which the stain of these forgivable sins is purged after this period of cleaning the soul is transferred to heaven to receive its proper reward for eternal life now um, for those who have lost um, family members who might not have been, uh, where it might not have been cl clear to you that they were followers of Christ, uh, purgatory and the thoughts around purgatory can be a very comforting idea because what that means is that something that we could do on this side could influence the eternal destination of someone that we loved who's now on the other side. Right. So there is a very like it's not difficult for us to understand why this would be a doctrine that people would cling to. Right. Especially if they were just being told a thing versus being able to pick it up and really read it and digest it themselves, which is a benefit that we as a church have today that wasn't always a benefit of all of the common members of the church in throughout the history of the church. Right. So um, Aquinas based his view, like I said, um, on a particular verse in 2 Maccabees, particularly 2 Maccabees chapter 12, verse 46, where roughly it says, It is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be released from sins. <clears throat> so uh, the church practiced interceding so this is the church during his time uh, practiced the interceding for the dead at its services praying for the release of these souls from purgatory indeed for a sum of money masses that celebrations of the Eucharist were offered for the dead and the poor were helped financially through 
almsgiving and merits of this good work could benefit those in purgatory. So there was the stage was set for uh, you have someone that you love that's in purgatory. There are things that you can do to free them from purgatory. One of which is give alms, give offerings. If you give offerings, you're doing good for the poor and uh, your loved one can be freed from those forgivable sins that uh, that they didn't get forgiveness for on this side, right? But now if you pay a sum of money, you could, uh, you could aid them into heaven. So another aid for their souls in purgatory was an indulgence. Uh, so you had alms, you had indulgences, which is the remission of the temporal punishment due to sin. Uh, the Pope was the, was the authority to distribute these merits on behalf of the souls in purgatory, thereby releasing them from their temporal punishment. So there was this idea of uh, there were the uh, collective work, the collective work of the saints, like you could all give and the Pope could use that good work of the saints and distribute this out. He had the authority to distribute this out amongst those in purgatory. Um, that's disturbing to say the least, that a man would think that he has authority um, to distribute such grace as to merit heaven. Um, but this idea uh, built up um, in the, at the Council of Florence. Now, I want you to consider the date. Of this, okay. So this was in 1438, right? Now we think about it. That sounds like a long time ago, okay? 1438. How far was it from them to Christ? How far was it from them to the early church? Less, less than it is from them to us. So think about how much time this has been working down through history to come to this point. So in at the Council of Florence in 1438, uh, the, the church officially made purgatory part of the institution that is the Roman Catholic Church's institution. Uh, now with this... Uh, decision, justification, that is the forgiveness of sins, the declaring righteous that is a work of God. This justification was no longer confined to this life, but by this declaration could be completed after death. And it was now part of official church doctrine. All right. So, selling of indulgences, of course. Now, this is like once this was in place, it's like, well, obviously we see where this goes. We corrupt everything we touch. Why would we not corrupt this as well? So, the selling of indulgences became highly successful. It was a highly successful money-making operation for the Catholic Church. Uh, John Tinsel uh, was <laughs> was quoted here as saying, and this is. Like I chuckle in reading it because one, it's so silly, uh, but at the same time, it's like that's so terrifying. Um, so during this time of successful, this successful money-making venture that was the established church, uh, one church leader said, "A penny in the coffers rings, and a soul from purgatory springs." 
Like, like that gives me chills. Who's the guy that Luther takes on? Yeah. Yeah. Like you think about that. You think about what he's saying. You give some money, and in return, you've bought freedom. You better give enough. Well, that's the problem. When 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 this when justifications becomes a worked a worked based righteousness, there is no amount of effort that could work towards it, right? And that's the that's why because it's like if you if it was like a million dollars, boom, like okay, like that seems cheap for a soul, right? But what if you're the poor? See, but here's, it's okay because you're poor, but we are rich. So if all of, if they all give, then I, as the Pope, can declare yours righteous as well. Right? So, so work together, poor and rich, right? There you go. Yeah. Well, well, what would essentially happen is, who, who, if, if you could, if there is room for uncertainty, who doesn't fall into that uncertainty, right? So it. So you could see why this would be very profitable for the church. A key doctrine for the Catholic Church, right, if, if we're missing one, is uh, ex opero operata. They believe that you, by doing a work, it was effective because it was, the, it was a mandated grace given by God yeah. to do it. And if it became a Catholic doctrine, you just simply obey that and it was effective. Yeah. It was... So, the, so as long as you did all your good Catholic things, became, if it became a Catholic doctrine, you do it and it works. Yeah. It is effective. Okay. That, but the, because to do it, graces, to do it, they would say that to do it was the grace of God right. within you, right? Like it's you could, working. yes, and yes. Yeah. But they didn't have this. Yeah, the 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 wide majority of the church were not in in Now here's what's here's what's like a carryover to today. Okay? So like then um the the scriptures were not widely available. Now, at the time of the reformation, do we also know what is like a historical event that comes about? The printing press. Like should it like and now this is in my mind in my mind I can see it no other way than God sovereignly working through history in such a way that these moments align right to where you 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 get this steady devolving because if it's just me if I am the only person or maybe me and a handful of others are the only people who have this book 
And then we all know that from this book comes the truth that brings life. But now you don't have access to it, but I do. And also, even as well intending as I might be, I have not dug in to why it is that I have this collection of books and not others. So my reliance on what I believe to be God's word, if it's not in fact God's word, as is the case with 2 Maccabees and the teachings that have come from it, then I could lead you astray, even unintentionally. So knowing why it is, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so now you have God's word. You are certainly without excuse in regards to your easy believing of false doctrines. Okay? If you were a people that had no access to the Word of God and you trusted in those who seemed as though they were men of God, you might have some excuse for having not known. But you are not those people. You have Scripture in front of you. So when someone stands and proclaims the Word of God, do you examine it? Do you dig into it? Because that is, that is the thing that stands between us and the next Reformation. Right? That's... God's Word is the thing that course corrects the church. The fact that Bibles were being printed and the Reformation aligns with this time in history should not be a surprise to us. Because when you can read God's Word, God speaks to you directly through it. Do not neglect this. This is a great privilege that we have. And, and two, like translators, like he raised up at that same exact time. Yes. Same exact time. Like a host of translators. Germans, English. Yes. And that is not an accident. It's not. It's not. He does that same work today because there are places that the gospel needs to go and we need to translate the scriptures there and we need to do it faithfully for those believers that God will call for himself out of those places, right? The word of God is essential, right? So uh, the selling of indulgences became extremely successful. We hear this quote, a penny in the coffers rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So even if the people chased after justification, even if they desired it, which if it was a successful money-making endeavor, then people were desiring this justification. But the church offered little more than empty promises that the Pope could draw upon the treasury of the saints to relieve them and those in purgatory of the temporal punishment due to sin. And then we move to the Reformation. And this is one of the, like, how fortunate we are to find ourselves on this side of that 
of that Reformation. Okay? Uh, no matter what you think of any particular individual who influenced the Reformation, speaking particularly to like the uh, disdain that Calvin tends to get um, when his name's mentioned, um, it is undoubtable the effect that God's Word making it into the hands of uh, believers uh, combined with the Holy Spirit moving in particular men uh, had a positive effect uh, on the history of the church. So uh, around this time, a young man by the name of Martin Luther dared to enter. So uh, just as <clears throat> with Thomas Aquinas, there were good things and there were bad things, we should also understand that with every believer, this includes each and every one of us, okay, um, with the eye of history, there will be things that are positive and negative from each of us. This is why merit from us would be terrifying position to stand in, because we would find that none of us merit eternity with our Creator. But faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, uh, understanding this by the Word of God alone, God working in all of this for His glory above all. Uh, he worked through a particular individual named Martin Luther. On October 31st, 1517, all right, so um, I, want us, I want us to see something else particularly interesting here. So um, we see uh, the date 1438, which was when this was kind of solidified in the church's doctrine um, so there had been uh, many years that like it had been pushing to this right from the beginning of the church until 1438 um, but uh, even though it's it's still some time in the making because uh, it was 1517 it's considerably more concise a time period from when uh, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, had uh, officially introdu introduced this as part of their um, like official beliefs to it going so far awry that God would be like, we need to, we need to reform this, and this is how it goes. So, like, when you think about it, like, it's a glory lifetime. Yes. Right. Think of Miss Glory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's with it's within a lifetime that like people realize this is not this is not right. And one one man here uh, had the courage to stand up for it. So um, and from from I don't I don't mean that to say that there, that it was only him, but um, but he certainly had a, a significant influence on this thing taking off right so October 31st 1517 he nailed the 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg Germany this action was the typical way of in indicating a desire to debate the posted item so Luther was calling upon the Wittenberg University community to address the topic of indulgences there's little doubt that he had no idea that posting this uh, 95 theses would spark the revolution uh, that was essentially over uh, the doctrine of justification. Um, a couple of things, a couple of positions that, that uh, kind of come from Luther's ideas here. So Luther de denied that the Pope had 
uh, the power to forgive guilt. Luther criticized the way that indulgences were sold. He said as preaching, and he said that indulgences were preaching an invention of man and preaching doctrines inconsistent with Christianity. He also said Christians are to be taught that to give to the poor or lend to the needy is a better work than the purchase of indulgences. The reaction to uh, Luther's 95 Theses was quick, it was widespread, and the idea of questioning the church's system uh, of obtaining forgiveness of sins and satisfying God brought the issue of justification to the forefront in the years to come. More than anything else, Luther became known as the champion of justification by grace through faith alone. Uh, describing this grace um, he said uh, here that it is an alien righteousness that is the righteousness of another instilled from outside this is the righteousness of Christ by which he justifies through faith this alien righteousness he said is primary it is the basis the cause the source of our actual righteousness Uh, Luther had thoughts uh, in regards to work as well. So Luther revolutionized the concept of good works by insisting that even common activities like working, eating, drinking, sleeping could qualify as real good works before God. Side note, it's a good thing because most of Jesus's time here on earth was spent doing that very thing, right? Those common things like working, eating, drinking, sleeping. And in all of that, did he ever fail to glorify God in one small bit? No, he didn't. So I like, I like Luther's view here. So um, these could qualify as real good works before God. Why? He said it is faith, confidence that one does, uh, that one does, that what one does pleases God because it is according to his will. That qualifies as an activity, as a good work before God. This work is joyfully done without regard for the merit that it acquires thus he would say thus a christian man who lives in this confidence towards god knows all things can do all things ventures everything that needs to be done and does everything gladly and willingly not that he may gather merits and good works but because it is a pleasure for him to please god and doing these things. He simply serves God with no thought of reward, content that his service pleases God. So uh, Luther's doctrine of justification, this is not a surprise, it undercuts the merit system of the Roman Catholic Church and called for a new church. This we call the Protestant Church to focus on God's grace received through faith alone as he explained, this is a quote from him, If the doctrine of justification is lost, the whole of Christian doctrine is lost. So the Reformation effectively hinged on our view of justification. Now, um, the Roman Catholic Church uh, did not take kindly to this. Uh, So the Council of Trent followed after this uh, movement of the Reformation Um, And it denounced the Protestant doctrine, specifically the doctrine of justification. Um, The council denounced the Protestant idea of justification as heresy. Uh, this This was not a small claim. 
right? Uh, when the church declared you a heretic, the church was essentially saying the same guy that can call on people in purgatory and bring him out has damned you to hell. Like this is the type of declaration that, that, that calling someone a heretic was. So the Catholic Church was essentially condemning the Protestant Church and anyone embracing those notions uh, to hell. Uh, so um, that, that was the time of the Reformation. Has anything changed since then? Has there been any movement? Has there been any attempts at reconciliation? Right? Where do they stand today? How do they view us today? Does the Catholic Church today look at Protestants and just assume that every Protestant is going to hell? What's the? Where, has there been any movement in that direction? Yeah. Yeah. I heard, I mean, they don't, it's not the prayers to Mary, it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I guess I didn't get it, I didn't get into the debate. I didn't want to get into that different debate with her. And to this day, you know, we still talk a lot and pray for each other a lot. But everything that we talked about lined up with what a lot of, most of it, except, you know, they drink a little. But they don't believe in overindulgence. Yeah. And they still have mass and they still have a lot of rituals, but it's lined up a lot with us. So this is this is uh, this is th- this particular part of this is one of the most encouraging to me sections of the history that we've done. Um, a lot of times when we've gotten to the, like, we've walked from, from the, the early church to the medieval church, this established church that we find where the Roman Catholic Church kind of starts going astray, into the Reformation, and a lot of times it's like, well, Reformation happened and now we're here, right? Um, there have been developments, particularly in regards to this, in the modern age, like in our time, so in the 90s, right? So how many of you were alive in the 90s? Okay, everybody, everybody here. Were, were, you, were you alive in the 90s? Okay, okay. Yeah, you weren't, yeah. You. <laughs> so everybody was at, le- at least that's in here existed in the 90s. So it goes back to then. That's, that's relatively recent history okay so so there have been there have been developments in this regard I'll say first the Catholic Church um, does not like we don't fall under the like uh, realm of heretics any longer and this is this is good okay um, maybe it shouldn't have taken so much time in history okay um, but Big debatable items, maybe it takes a while for the church to reconcile these things because this was no small issue, right? Like the Reformation existed because of this issue primarily, okay? So maybe maybe because of that, it, it is such a thing that it would take some time for there to be any type of reconciliation. But uh, in the 90s, there was an effort, and this kind of was an ongoing effort. Uh, one of the petit, one of the 
potentially, uh, or not potentially, but one of the more interesting aspects of these discussions we're going to look at today. Um, but there was, an, there was an effort by leading Catholic and leading evangelical believers to come together and to, to work towards some type of reconciliation in regards specifically uh, to our views of justification. Um, and there were some positive efforts that were made in this regard. And I think that in reg- this is not to say that there are um, not still some pretty uh, big issues that exist between those who would be in a Protestant church and those who would find themselves in a Catholic church. Um, but those issues are, are, have been reduced in a major way with this, with this effort. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read at length because this is, this is very much worth um, just kind of getting the full gist of, of what took place here. So this initiative uh, was on the part of several leading Roman Catholics and important evangelicals. To date, this effort has, re- uh, and you can look this stuff up online. I would encourage you to do that, read it. Um, in, in, in its entirety. So this effort has resulted in the publication of six significant statements under the title Evangelicals and Catholics Together. So go look that up. If you go to Google, put double quotes, type Evangelicals and Catholics Together into the double quotes, the first results that you'll get will be uh, this particular effort. Okay. Uh, also, if you have this historical theology book, you can look at the reference that's uh, given in that uh, and, and jump out to it. So, uh, the first of these, which address the doctrine of justification, was called, and you could quote this and, and pull this one up as well, the Christian mission in the third millennium. It made a brief and ambitious affirmation about justification and from it came some debate about the wording which is this is what we should be doing we should be working towards truth so there was some debate there intense criticism led uh, to a second statement in the second statement if you were to quote it you could find it immediately it's called the gift of salvation it was written in an attempt to clarify the nature of the agreement reached on the doctrine of justification, this document affirmed the following, and I'm going to read, <clears throat> I'm going to read this uh, in full. So bear with me. It said, "We agree that justification is not earned by any good works or merits of our own." That's a huge statement, considering that that was essentially one of the foundational points that kind of led to uh, the Reformation. It goes on. It is entirely God's gift conferred through the Father's sheer graciousness out of the love that He bears us in His Son who suffered on our behalf and rose from the dead for our justification. In justification, God, on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone, declares us to be no longer His rebellious enemies, but his forgiven friends. And by virtue of his declaration, it is so. So this is from that, from that document. 
because of the issue uh, because of the issue of how this justification is to be received by faith alone according to the historical protestant understanding or by some other means in addition to faith the statement addressed the nature of faith and affirmed that justification is by faith alone specifying and this is from that document all right this is leading Roman Catholics leading evangelicals and listen to this listen to this statement we understand that what we here affirm is in agreement with what the reformation traditions have meant by justification by faith alone yeah so there has been a work towards reconciliation and I would consider this to be a pretty considerable um, development in that regard like these these leaders within the Catholic the Roman Catholic Church to state to to agree to this statement I'm going to read it again because we went from uh, the declaration that you are heretics bound for hell and the Protestant church pushing on with these traditions led ultimately to this statement. We understand that we hear, that what we hear affirm is in agreement with what the Reformation traditions have meant by justification by faith alone. Like when I, when I read that, I'm like, one, how much humility... It requires on major doctrines and differences in those things to come to a conclusion that's alternative to one that has been passed down for generations. Um, yes. 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 Same. I have I have a I have a, a gentleman that I worked with for years and years and years and years and years um, who was Catholic and I like I there were times that I struggled with like because particularly the view of justification that has has evolved I believe with this statement shows clear evolution in the in the Catholic Church's understanding of. Uh, justification that was the that was my hill to die on um, many of the other differences that he and I had um, they were secondary issues and many of them were tertiary as well and in in the in the sense of like uh, the style the style of church was not for me but that wasn't the the type of thing that would send an individual in one direction or another in regards to their eternity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he and I had he and I had a number of like discussions, um, and it was during that, likewise, that I came to realize that like there's some there's still some things that are that are that are interesting there, um, but. Yeah, but um, many of the things that I would have considered my hill to die on, having interacted with him and had these conversations with him, I realized, yeah, y'all don't think the way that I 
thought y'all thought on all of these things. Um, Casey's family's Catholic. Yeah. On her dad's side. Yeah. Dad broke away from the Catholic faith because of some Baptist influence. Yeah. And really never could land quite on a place. Yeah. Um, that's neither here nor there, but there's... We, we were sitting there at the last Sunday, I think it was, <laughs> at the camp with uh, with all the guys, and I, his youngest brother actually was looking at going into the priesthood at one time, uh, and they, it was one of those things when I first came into the family, they said, you just, this is what we don't talk about, yeah. politics and religion, <laughs> like, we just don't talk about those yeah. things. At, because we enjoy ourselves, you know, we enjoy family, and, you know, let's just keep all those yeah. positive things out of the conversation. He's the one who brought it up. You know, good questions, and being able to put Jesus in the midst of it is a good thing to be able to get the conversation started. So, it, that happened, yeah. and he ran with it, and started talking about his experiences as he's developed. From the Catholic perspective, it was eye-opening. They are surrounded by Protestants in so many ways in the in the South, right? Yeah. And they are the ones who are on the fringe. Uh, they're the ones that are, in, in some senses, always put on the, the seat of you are not like us. Yeah. You don't believe like us. Uh, let me let me try to convert you because you don't believe like us. And every time he said he'd go into a church uh, to sell them a printer. He would he would be evangelized, and he his sense he was they wanted them to come join their church. That's his yeah. uh, evangelistic model that from the Catholic view. He's like they just wanted me to come join their church, which would mean salvation for him, <laughs> Catholic, right? Cause, cause yeah, come from the church, and he's he's like I we would sit down and have this conversation with him and say, look, I, I believe just like you believe. Yeah. Um, and. Not on everything, right? But yeah, not on everything. But justification. Yeah, it would. I would say it's more. It would be more in a line with like the way that the Protestants would divide up denominations, right? So like the Catholic Church, they would. There are there are differences of opinion even within like the broader Catholic Church, right? But by and large, they would tend like my friend would would be like, one of the things that's so strange to me is all of the denominations. And I'm like, well, technically, if you look if you look at the Catholic Church, not everyone has a line. There's actually been some big divisions of the Catholic Church um, in history, too. Uh, so, like, that's, that's more as I, as I would have conversations with him, um, and specifically, like, coming to understand some of these developments here um, it definitely like has softened for me um, my position like yes we can be in protest but we're we're moving in the right direction right especially on some of the some of the key core like uh, heaven or hell type of discussions. I think that we are closer now than we were in the past. What you said earlier was so encouraging, though. It is so true. As we got in that conversation, yeah. Uh, the 
what we landed with was absolutely 100%. The only thing that's unifying us right now is the word of Yeah, God. yeah. It is. And if you come to that, if you come to that conclusion with a brother, yeah. Yes. And they and they dig in the same book, right? They dig in the same book. Um, now you'll 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 still find in some places like a clinging to what we would call apocrypha, right? Like there's still there's still some of this there, um, but hey. <laughs> Yeah. There are things that are positive in both. There are things that are positive that we can take away um, from the way that they do things, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah.